So we are going to finish up our series that we're calling The God Book. And so the last several weeks, we've been going through um, this book right here that we know as the Bible. Um, and and we've, I've learned a lot. I hope that it you've enjoyed it as well. You know, just a little bit of a recap, week one. We talked about four main ways that we can get the Bible from our head to our heart, right? You know, because we can read it, so it's, there's good information there, but there's more to it than that. And so the goal is that we would love the Bible. As David prayed, he's like, I, I love your, your word, Lord. I've, I've hid it inside of my heart. And last week, we really looked at more of one question. Can, can we trust the Bible? And this, thing, you know, this, this book has been written. It was written over a span of 1,600 years, 40 different authors, multiple contents, you know, con- contents, multiple content, multiple continents. Uh, and so it's been spread out all over the world. And what we hold in our, in our hand, the six, what we know as the canon, can, can it be trusted? These 66 books. And so we answered those questions, I feel like, last week. And, and uh, today I, wanna, I want us to kind of switch gears a little bit. And, and before we jump in and read, there's just four verses. This, these four verses are coming on the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is probably one of the most packed messages that Jesus preached. It has the Beatitudes in it. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. But then it's also got so much relevant information in this sermon and, and about marriage, about life, about how to handle money. And he goes on this, you know, probably one of the most beautiful sermons, several chapters in the book of Matthew. But then he ends that sermon. This is how he concludes it with these four verses. And so they've just heard a lot. And, and what he was doing, it's amazing in this, this Sermon on the Mount, he quotes from multiple different books in the Old Testament. And he starts it off with, hey, I haven't come to get rid of the law, right? The Old Testament, we talked a little bit about the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament had a lot of laws in it, 613 or so. Like it was lots of specifics about, you know, how, what kind of clothes to wear and diet and what to eat, what you shouldn't eat. And, and so Jesus is, is coming on the scene. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to do away with the law, but I'm coming to perfect it. And he took these Old Testament truths and he installed this New Testament knowledge and just this revelation that we haven't had yet. But then he ends it with this. And so I want us to do this. We've done this every week. It's something new. Let's, let's stand up. We're going we're gonna to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 24 through 27. It's going to be on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Somebody say foundations. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the same storm came. The rain, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. And so this few, these few verses really hit home if you've lived in this area for very long. Come on, somebody, right? Can I get a witness? If you're visiting, just, just hold on for a second. 
but I want to brag on all, because there's folks in this church that have lived on this island for longer than I've been alive. And they've seen all the big storms. The big, you know, they've seen Opal. They've seen Aaron. They out here. There's a, a one of my heroes. His name's Cole, and he works at the marina, and um, he lives out here on the beach. And he was one of the few people that stayed on this island during Hurricane Ivan. And he was in. A, he told me the story one day at the coffee shop. And he was in a block house. And you know, Ivan, the very highest point on this island was under five feet of water during Hurricane Ivan. So it was insane. The whole island breached. It was gone. And he was in a block house on the ground. And so he told me the story, and it hit at night, and he had to swim from his house, and he shimmied up a piling of, of his neighbor's house and was able to survive the storm. And he said the only people he's seen for, for like a few days was this crew from the Weather Channel that stayed in the really cool house right on the Gulf on 18th. It's like this fortified globe made for crazy storms. But we know, we know storms. We know storms too well. Um, 2018, top 10 hurricanes to ever hit the continental United States. It was in the end, like, like the middle of October, which was rare. It was Hurricane Michael. And so when it made landfall, they were saying it was a Category 4. But once they went about, back and did the damage assessment, and they had some land-based um, you know, wind gauges, and they knew that it was a Category 5. So they've now classified this storm as a Category 5. And I, I want to show you Mexico Beach. And that's a part of, it's a little strip, it's, it's east of here. But 90% of the homes on Mexico Beach were gone. Now you see that one house? So the New York Times, on that one house, they, they did an article and they found the owners. It was a doctor and a lawyer. And they came together and they built a home together and they wanted it to be a, a vacation home for them. But they also wanted to rent it out during the week. And one of the, one, the doctor's name was Dr. Lackey. And he brought in this, this architect from out of state, and quote, I want to quote him out of this article in the New York Times. If you want to read it, it's called, Among the Ruins of Mexico Beach Stands One House Built for the Big One. And they interview this architect, and they say, what did you do differently? Because it's incredible. 90% of the homes were gone. This doctor got in his car, drove to Mexico Beach, and besides the stairway that was built to be, basically it was built to... to to come off of the house, the house was intact completely. And so they, are, they, they interview this, this, this architect, and he talks about how he built this house. And they built it for the big one. The doctor and the lawyer came together, and they, you know, they didn't want to build just a normal beach house. And so what they did was they surpassed all the current codes. Right now, all the codes were based on the last storm I just told you about, Hurricane Ivan. Right, so here in this area. So everything's based on that storm changed the game, right? The 100-year storm. Hopefully, we're good for another 100 years, right? I feel like we've got enough, we've got enough action on this little strip of beach over the last 20 years. We're good for 200 more years, right? We're good. I hope so. But, but they built this house differently. You know, rebar in the concrete. They went twice as deep on their pylons, wider pylons rebar in the corners of the structure it cost way more money it took way longer and it required way more energy and so when we look at this house and we look at this as a as an illustration jesus is not talking about houses he's talking about people and what i love about this story there's four main things in those four verses i, I just want to pull them out there's the fool there's the fool there's the, the, the fortified, 
the person that built his house on the rock. There's the flood and there's the two foundations. And so in this story, one of the common denominators we see in this story is that it's the same storm. It wasn't that the fool got a bigger storm and the fortified person got a smaller storm, but it was the same storm. And what I'm finding in life, and this is not positive preaching, y'all, and you're not going to hear a lot of it <laughs> from me, is that storms are going to come. And, 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 and most of the folks that I know that have lived out here a long time, they, they know that. They, they, they build and prepare based on that. They know that eventually you're going to have to pay the piper. And, and to live in this area and to live in this beautiful, I mean, just Florida itself, to live in such a beautiful state that we live in, this is one of the things that we have to deal with every year. We have these storms, and they're unpredictable, and, you know, surfers love them. Come on, can I get an amen, right? Everybody else hates them. I'm at the point now I'd rather just not have any storms. I'm, I'm good with not having the storm surf, right? Just, just let them stay some, go somewhere else. But how do we fortify our life to where it can hold up in the storm? Because we're promised one thing in life, it's going to come. It rains on the just and the unjust. And Jesus didn't say, if the storm comes. I wish he would have. I wish he'd have said, if a storm comes, you need to be ready. You may not need it. But he said, no, when? And there's all kinds of storms. And I don't want to go in detail, but there's, there's emotional storms. There's relational storms. There's financial storms. There's all kinds of storms. And what I want for you and what I want for my life and for, for this church is that we can stand the test of time. That when storms come, the whole building doesn't collapse. And I know that you know somebody and you've watched it happen. The same storm hits the same neighborhood. One house is able to make it through it. And the other house found out there was cracks in the foundation. The other house found out that there was things hidden in the walls that weren't built right, and it, and it collapsed, and it was the pressure of the storm that revealed those things. So Jesus gives us two ways to do this. He says you can build on sand or you can build on the rock. So I want to give you, I think, four ways that we build on sand in our lives. If we're, if, if we're building this way, we're building on sand. And I think the first one is this. If we build according to popular culture, well, the way everybody else is doing it. I'm going to build that way. And we find that this, this particular house in Mexico Beach and this particular builder did not do that. They built way above the codes. They took what was expected and said, no, we're going to take it a step further. But, but, but really what, I'm, what I talk about when I say popular culture is I think we all have to make a decision in our life how much of culture we're going to allow to get inside of us. right? Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I don't think Jesus calls us to go and build a, a monastery somewhere and just, you know, fence it up, put the high fence up and just disappear until, you know, until we die. I don't think that's the way he's called us to live in this world. But he says you're going to be in it and you're not of it. And so there's got to be this separator where you're in the world, but you're not letting the world get inside of you. And so you're not doing what everyone else is doing. You're not following the status quo. You're not doing what the herd is doing. You're not going with the flow, right? You're, you're going upstream. And as Christians, that's, a, that's how we're expected to live. That's how we build on the rock. Because culture is never going to call us to build on the rock. Culture is trying to redefine what's right and wrong right now in every major area of our lives. And we're seeing, I mean, I, just, I'm not old school, but maybe I am a little bit. 
But some, even some of the stuff we watch and listen to, eventually, if you watch it and listen to it enough, it gets inside of you. And you start changing convictions and you start changing things in your life before you even know it. And so building on the sand is building on popular culture. And, and, and even in nature, we see this principle. And I'm going to speak to all my hunters right now because we got quite a few in here that are looking for the big one, right? The big buck, right? You know, in Florida, they're, the, the rut is what they call it. It's when the deer just lose their mind. Right? They, like they, they, just, they just get crazy and they do things they don't normally do, especially the bucks. And what makes the bucks with the big horns hard to kill or harvest, sorry, uh, it, yeah, we harvest them, is, yeah, it's because you never see them with the herd. If you hunt, you know this. You can sit in a tree stand, you can count 50 deer will come out, but that one big buck that's lived longer than all the other deer watches the herd. And this is with white-tailed deer. This is with any type of animal where, where there's predators involved. They know not to run with the herd. They come out from it. They separate themselves. They observe it. And so these big deer that, all these, that we're all trying to, to harvest this time of year, they're hard to find. They're hard to see because they know that. Exodus, let me give you some scripture on it. It says it like this. Do not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. But just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Just because everybody decides that they're going to cut corners and build their house on the sand doesn't mean that's what you should do or have to do. So building on sand. Second thing, building on sand is building on tradition. Well, tradition's good, right? I think some tradition is good. But when we take tradition and we build on it at the expense of truth, it becomes bad. It's a book called The Autopsy of a Dead Church, uh, Thomas Rayner. He studied 80 dead churches, churches that had died, and now there were you know, new churches that had come behind them. And he, he asked the leadership of the time, what was the mentality of the church as they were declining and as they had closed? And the number one mentality was, this is the way we've always done it. Tradition. And how much of, of tradition is being taught in churches, but it's not truth? How much tradition do we implement in our life and build on, but it's, it's, it's not in this book? And tradition focuses on the way we do something, not the why. Truth says, you know what, uh, we, we may change the way that, that, that these things are done. We may change the way that we do things, but the why remains central. And Jesus warned about this. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, he says, you've let go of the truth of God's word. You've let go of the commands of God, and this is what you're holding on. You're holding on to human traditions. And so we can't, I mean, I'm thankful for tradition. I'm, I'm kind of, I love the old hymns, and I love, I love I, I'm thankful that we've been passed down a model and a, and a way to do church. But I think at some point, it's holding on to traditions. I'll never forget this. This has almost pushed me out of the ministry for forever. But I was preached at this church. I'm not going to say the name of it. And I was, they had me come. But one time I was kind of just evangelizing. And so I, I worked at Pepsi. Did y'all know that? I worked at Pepsi for a little bit. So I was like a part-time preacher. And when somebody needed me to fill in, I'd come and share. Well, I shared at this church a few times. And, and I, I enjoyed going there. If I said the name, you'd know it. And um, they called me in for this emergency board meeting. And they were like, Pastor, we're never going to be able to have you back at our church. I said, oh, man, they talked to my mom. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. They, ran, they ran a background check. Man, gum it. No, no. 
They said, no, um, we went on your Facebook, and there's a picture of you with your shirt off. And we have a standard of holiness at this church, where that's unacceptable. I got so mad. I was surfing. Like, like my wife took the picture. I was uh, 70 yards off in the middle of the goal. You couldn't see it. It wasn't like, I, you know. But anyways, traditions of men. Traditions. Silly. So how much tradition are we building on in our life? Rather than truth. It's sand. It passes away. You can't build a church on it. You can't build a company on it. You can't build a relationship on it. The third thing is feelings. Feelings. I'm just going to do what I feel like today. <laughs> we talk about feelings a lot. And one thing that we know about feelings is your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings are real, but they're not always right. And so we have to be able to decipher that. You know, some people get in their feelings more than others, right? I'm, I can tend to get in my feelings a lot. And I know when I'm in my feelings, I'm not thinking clear. And you can't make, you know, big decisions based on what you feel like doing. Because some days you're not going to feel like doing the right thing, right? Some days, you know, your feelings, your feelings, I'll say this, they will lie to you. Your feelings will tell you it's hot when it's cold. Your feelings will tell you to jump when you need to sit down. Your feelings will tell you to react and yell when you need to respond in kindness. Your feelings will tell you to take it because it's yours, but it's really not, right? Your feelings will tell you to get mad at your boss or tell you to get bitter, and your feelings will tell you to never talk to that person again until they apologize. Come on. Like, your feelings will lie to you and lead you into a bad place, and it's building on sand. The book of Judges, incredible book, one of the saddest books in the Bible, so, so much tragedy, there's so much pain, so much just, just, just darkness in the book of Judges. And I want you to see what the mentality was in that time. They didn't have a king, they didn't want a king, they didn't want God to lead them, they wanted to do their own thing. And it says at that time that the children of Israel did what was right in their own eye. They, they didn't have a king, and they just did whatever they felt like doing. And I have days like that. I mean, I'm going to just be honest with you. But that's, that, that's, when I'm in that mode and mood, I know I don't need to make big decisions. I don't need to build on this. This is feelings. This is shifting sand. I, like, this is, this is going to come and go, right? Feelings come and go in waves. They come and go in waves. They don't last forever. And so when I'm in my feelings, it's not a real good time to be making any permanent decisions. And I think the fourth thing, and this is the devil's workshop right here, is just lies. And how many companies have you seen fall apart because they were built on lies, right? The board was lying about certain things. The executive was lying about certain things. There was just all these lies. And it wasn't that they weren't being, you know, facetious about it. They just weren't telling the whole truth. And what lies begin to do is, is lies are just cracks in the foundation of everything that we love and live on in our lives. That every time we tell a lie or every time we hear a lie, and even though they're not real, they can cause real damage, and if you look at the devil, the devil has no new tricks, y'all. He just takes it and coats it with a new thing, a chocolate. He's got this, he does the same thing over and over and over. And you look at the first time that he slithers in and talks, he's telling lies in the garden. Eve, did God really say that? Are you sure? He questions truth. He wants you to just believe a little bit of a lie here. And, and this is what I found in life is 99% truth and 1% arsenic can kill you. And if you're just leaving something little out, and Jesus called, he said it like this in John 8, 
talking to the Pharisees. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. He was a real nice guy, huh? No, no. anyway, so he, he spoke truth to the religious people, and that was it. The people that were hurting, he extended compassion. But the religious folks of that day, he fashioned a whip at one point and went in the temple and started turning over tables. And this was one area where Jesus didn't budge on. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and this is why. Every time that he opens his mouth, this is what he does. He lies. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. He speaks lies. It's his native, native language. And look at this. He's the father of lies. He just produces them. An atheist wrote a book called Lying, and it's one of the greatest books I've read on the, impact of, the impacts of lies and how when we believe them or when we allow them in our relationships and in our lives, that it just begins to erode the foundation. And I'm finding that you can't build nothing outside of truth. Nothing gets better without honesty. Any relationship, even our own lives, even as much as it may hurt, right, we're called to speak the truth in love, and sometimes the truth really hurts. But if we really, really want our lives to get better, and we really, really want to build on the rock, we can't, we can't tell ourselves these little half-truths. And then we can't tell them. And so, so lies is building on saying, all right, so there's, there's the four things, but this is the good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. We want to build on the rock. I want your relationships to stand when the storms come. I want you, the, the relationships that you value in love to endure the trials of life, to be able to go through a bad season and go through bad things in life and not lose everything. And I know we're watching it and it happens every day. You know, or just, just think, you know, on the outside, everything looks good in someone's home or in someone's life and then, and then a storm comes. And the thing about the foundation is this, is it's hidden I want you to see this, like you, you're not walking around with your foundation exposed, right? And you look at these beautiful houses and the way they're built, the most important part of the house is really hidden. And the thing about foundations, I've, I'm not a builder, but I read that article and I looked up foundations and building a foundation and pouring a foundation and laying a foundation is a hidden work and it's a thankless work. It's hard, right? You got to dig. Out here, you got to drill, right? You, gotta, you bring out the big cranes, and you got to drill those pylons down into the sand. I mean, you hit rocks. You hit other structures. Like, it would be really easy to say, okay, I don't think I want to put in the time on this, right? We're, we've got enough. We've done enough groundwork here. Let's just start building the structure. So how do we fortify our lives? That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my life, from the storm. I think the first thing is this, is we make God's word the foundation of our lives. We build on it. And we just don't build on it on Sundays, but we build on it in everything that we do. That we have to have this, look, we, we have to have something solid in our life or we won't be able to stand. And what we've been given by God, I believe, is, is this book. And he's given us truths and he's given us precepts and he's given us, I mean, this book is so relevant, relevant to every area of our life and whatever that we're doing or trying to do. And if we start with this, man, we can build on that. I talk about John Maxwell a lot. I love him. I mean, I went through this course with him and became a coach, got to sit in a room and, and literally listen to him teach, got to meet him. And one of the things he did, one of the first sessions when I was going through that process, is he held up his Bible. He says, and I want you to know, every book I've written on leadership, his foundation is right here. 
The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, the most sold book ever in leadership in the category. Right here. So I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about your company and your business and your relationships and what you do Monday through Friday is that we make this, this book right here the foundation, the, the center of our lives. Now I want to read it like this. and It's the same verse, Matthew 7. I want to read it in the message translation. It says, these words I speak to you. They're not incidental additions to your life. They're not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart car carpenter who built his house on the solid rock. And so I'm seeing the foundational work that we do, that you do in building a house. It's a predecision. It's a predecision. If you look at that house in Mexico Beach, it's still there. That, these, that that doctor and that lawyer built, when they met with their builder, they knew way before they began to build what their intentions were. We want to build strong. We want this to last. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? And, and, and this is, I know this is, this is hard work, y'all. This is not easy work, you know, because a lot of this work goes, on, it goes unseen. A lot of this work is, is thankless work. A lot of this work is stuff that, that nobody sees. So we build our house on the rock by saying, okay, when the rubber meets the road and I have a big decision in my life, I'm going to go with this book. I'm not going to go with popular opinion. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get wisdom in the multitude of counselors. There is safety. I'm going to listen to elders. I'm going to listen to mom and dad and coaches and teachers. But at the end of the day, when I'm stuck at a fork in the road and I don't know what to do, I want to go with this book. That, that's, that's making it the foundation. That's, that's building upon it when it becomes your, how you operate, how you make choices, how you make decisions. Second thing is this, is, is I, I believe we, we build this foundation by making it the first priority of our life. First priority. And that basically means what we do first. And so well, every year since we've been a church, we've done this. We've done 21 days of fasting and prayer, and we just came off of that. Well, why do we do that? Well, we want to give God the first of our year. And it's amazing how this is a pattern all throughout Scripture. If you look at, like, like if you're a practicing Jew, you went to church yesterday, Saturday. Saturday's a Sabbath because they begin their week on Sunday. Sunday is their Monday. And so they give God the first of their week. They begin their week with God. And what I'm seeing in, in my life is that the way that this really gets deep down inside of us and we build a sure foundation is it's something that we do every single day. It's, it's life is built in the dailies. You look at the relationships that you, that, you, that you honor and protect and love the most in your life, your spouse, your family, and you see that you're, you're, you're cultivating and you're sowing into that relationship every day. It's not built on the big trips, right? It's not built on the Disney trips or the, or the, you know, the honeymoon, right? That's great if you're married, as, much, as, as awesome as that is, but it ends. <laughs> you know, it, it's over. And, and so then you're seeing, I'm seeing now the real relationships in our life, and this is the same with our relationship with God, is it's built every day. It's built in the dailies. It's starting our day in the world. And I know I've, I've been encouraging this all week, and a lot of you have been telling me I'm, I'm starting my day in the word. I've got a devotion. I've got, uh, but every day, I mean, I just think it, something powerful happens in our life when we choose to start our morning this way. 
When we wake up, and I know that ha my habit was to get the phone because it's dinging and binging and blinging and all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's going off. I just rhymed there. You're like that. <laughs> and it's begging for attention, and it's, there's all these fires that need to get put out. And, 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 uh, and, and so rather than doing that, I'm going to get my devotion out. Before I read one email, before I do anything, I want to get in this book. Why? Because it's how we build our lives on the dailies. Matthew 6, verse 33, one chapter back. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said, all this stuff you're worried about, if, it's called the principle of priority. If you want to go more deeper into this, God is really concerned about what we do first. Really concerned about what we do first. And so it's giving him the first of our year. It's giving him the first of our quarter. It's giving him the first of our day, the first of our month. We see this preached a lot when it comes to finances, right? All the time. Bring the tithe to the, to the storehouse. What's the tithe? Well, if you get paid $1,000 in 10 $100 bills, the tithe is the first one to leave your hand. That's the tithe. It's the first and the best. And we see this in Leviticus. We see this in Exodus. When it was, they, were, they weren't bringing money, they were bringing animals to God. And it was, I want you to bring your first and I want you to bring your best. And then we look at God and he models it. In Jesus, he gave his first and he gave his best. And so it's every day we give God our first, right? And we give God our best. And so when we make it this priority of our life, we can say this the, the way that David said, he said, I've, I've, I've hidden your word in, in my heart. Why? Because every day I've built my life on it. Every day I've been digging. Every day I've been, I've been living my life based on that book. And so we make it the first priority. The third thing is we make it grow deeper. We make it grow deeper in our life. And I want to get real practical with this. I, I think there's some, this is not in your notes. If you want to write these down, you can. But just a few ways that we can go deeper in the, in the Word of God is, is, is just get a translation that you like. You know, for me, I, I, I read the King James Version the first probably five or six years of my life. So if I quote a verse, it's in Old English. You know what I'm saying? It says, thus saith the Lord. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, that's, just, that's just what I read. And I don't really think that, this, like, that that's the best version. I mean, I think it's a great translation if you want to read that. But I, I, I really just think if you can find a translation you like, and I want to just give you a few ways to do that. There's three types of translations, three types. So we know that the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, a little bit of Arabic. So mostly Greek, mostly Hebrew. And so they took those languages and they translated them from that to English. And so there's three ma main ways they do that. The first way is called e exact equivalency. Exact. That's King James Version. They took word by word. I'll give you a few versions. Um, King James Version, New King James, NASB, English Standard Version, New Life Version. So these are exact equivalency. That means they took the Hebrew and the Greek and they went word by word. Exactly. And so when you read the King James Version, if that's what you read, sometimes it doesn't make sense. For me, it doesn't make sense. It's poetic. It's easier to like memorize but there's just things in it that I, like, still to this day, I'll read it, and I'm like, I need to Google that, y'all. I mean, I just, that's way above my pay grade. I don't know, because it's, it's exact equivalency. It's ex so they just took it word by word. And so when you take one language and try to exactly translate it into another language, there's some gaps there. The second type is functional equivalency. So they took it thought by thought. 
That's the New International Version. That's what I mostly read, the New Living Translation. Um, there's several different translations where, so rather than going word by word, they went sentence by sentence. And so you notice um, that's what we usually use on Sundays. Uh, this Bible was one of the first Bibles given to me. And so I started reading the New International Version. It's actually the New International Version sells more copies now than the King James Version. And it has the last 16 years. There was 100 scholars that were a part of translating it. And so they took it sentence by sentence. So it's a little easier, right? It's a little easier to understand. It's, there's not so much thus is and thou is. Thou is, is that a way? There, there's not all that old English there. It's a little easier to understand. And then the last one, it's called paraphrased version. And that's, that's where we get, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the message translation. That's, um, I'll give you another one, the living Bible. And so that's basically where they just take it, they just make it, they take it from the, the paraphrased version or that, the last version that I gave you, and then they translate it from there. And so let me give it to you like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. I read this at almost every wedding, the love chapter, right? I'm going to give it to you in King James. Charity suffereth long, is kind. Charity envieth not. Charieth, charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. There's the King James Version, okay? That's the exact translation. Let me give it to you in the NIV Version. Same verse, same Greek, same, you know, same Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast. It's not, right, it's not proud. So it's a little easier. Now here's the message just is ready to go to the party, y'all. They're just like, we're just going to let our hair down. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than it does for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut around. Come on, you're like, right? It's not, it doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. I mean, this is a lot here. And it isn't always me first. So you see the difference? And so just find one that you like. Find one, and I think stick with it. I know this is a lot. Second thing, not in your notes. I want to go deeper in the Bible. Get a study Bible. Get a study Bible. We have about 15 outside. You could take one if you want. And it's called What the Bible is All About by um, a lady named Dr. Mears. So she, she worked for Billy Graham. And so she took the Bible and really just kind of took each book and, and gave, gives a context, gives an overview. My favorite study Bibles, the number one selling is called the Life Application Bible, which is an incredible Bible. You can get that anywhere. Um, wherever books are sold, Amazon's got it. I'd say go to the bookstore. Um, but the, the, the second thing is um, there's, it, was called, it used to be called Life in the Spirit Bible. That was the one that I had. And uh, by a guy named Dr. Thomas Trask did most of the translations on it. But again, it's just, I want to go deeper, right? I want to go deeper. I want to learn more. It's getting, in, getting a study Bible. And this right here is the most important. If you don't have a translation you're going to stick with, that's cool. If you don't have a study Bible, that's fine. The third thing is study the Bible with other people. Because the ones that get off track are usually the ones that have been in their house for seven years. And they have figured out everything in the Bible. And, you know, 20 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2020. That's a real book. Right, uh, 200 reasons why Jesus is coming back in the year 2000. Like, like, like they have these people that, that get in and they just get way off kilter because they try to do everything on their own. And they don't have any, so, so we, we know that children learn better in groups. We know this. You know, if you take a child out of a group, they're not going to develop the way they need to develop. They're not going to get the skills they need. It's the same way with studying the Bible and growing as a Christian. 
God has not called us to, to do life alone. And so we get in a group. We talk about groups a lot, I know. But I want to encourage you, if you're not in a group, get in a group somewhere else. Shop in other churches' groups. Start one at your, uh, at your, at your business. When I, did y'all know I worked at Pepsi for a little bit? Yeah, so, yeah. so we, we had a group that met every Wednesday morning in the boardroom. And it was drivers. It was the GM came in there some. And we, we just studied the Bible at work before we all got on our routes and went out on our day. But there's something powerful that happens when we study the Bible in a group. And then here's the last one, and then we're going to pray. And I want you to see this. I want to go back to our story because it's important, and we know it. We know that storms come. We know that. We know that we need to be prepared. But I want you to see another part of the Bible that I believe is probably the most important. And, and we look, when we look at, like it was called the, the full armor of God, right? We, maybe you've studied that or not, but it talks about this breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the shoes, right, of the, um, the gospel of peace. And there's all these different armor. There's different pieces. It's like a soldier going into battle. And all the armor is defensive when we look at this. But there's one piece of equipment in that armor of God that's not, it's offensive. And it's the sword, which is this, this book right here. It's, it says it's the word of God. And what begins to happen in our life, I believe, when we make this the foundation of our life and we begin to study it and we begin to let it grow deeper inside of us, that it's a defense. It's a defense. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, right, God will give us a word to, to, to fight back, to prepare for it. And if you don't believe there's a real enemy, I mean, I think that we, we could all agree on that. There is a real enemy, and his threefold ministry is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to come and take stuff from you that God said is yours. And what I'm finding in life is that we can use this book as a defense, as a weapon for the challenges of life, for the things that you're going through right now. That God will give you a word. He'll give you a verse. And I'm thankful for the audible voice of God, and I believe he does speak. I believe that with all my heart, that God still speaks to his kids. But I'm finding when he does speak, when he does speak, it's never going to be contrary to this book. And oftentimes, he'll lead you to a verse. When you're feeling down or discouraged, he'll lead you to Isaiah 41, right? Verse 10, fear not. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. When you're feeling dark and you feel like your life is getting dark, he'll, maybe he'll lead you to Psalm 119 and talk about how is this book is a lamp. It's a light. But he will lead you. He will take you where you need to go to defend. And I really, I'm going to close this service. And I know this is a weird call, but I feel like I was supposed to pray for people in here. And you feel like your life has been under attack. Verbatim. Your family. Maybe it's some relationships in your life. Maybe it's on the job. But it's just been one thing after another. And every time you get up and you get, you, you know, you pick yourself up from the last push down, there's another one. I want to pray for you. 
because I'm believing God's going to give you a word that you can stand up and defend yourself and say, all right, enough is enough. The devil's a bully. He just pushes and he pushes and he pushes. And God's given us this book and given us a way to fight back. Ephesians 6, verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, unfortunately it will, you may be able to stand your ground. Take the word, the sword of the Spirit, right, which is the word of God, and fight back. Use this book to defend yourself against it. Let me give it to you in a different translation. God's word is an indispensable weapon (laughs) and he's given it to you so I just want to do I want you just to bow your head we're going to pray and I know there's people in here it may just be one person and you've been going through a storm you just feel like your life has been under an attack and storms feel that way the wind's blowing the rain is beaten down, there's lightning, the floods are coming. It's like nature has come in all of its fury. And, and when we go through these storms emotionally or in our lives, it can feel so confusing. We lose our bearings in storms and it's no longer about getting to the next day. It's just, it's just staying afloat. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you feel like your life is just, man, there's just somebody just, trying to, like you're a can on the fence and they're just trying to knock you off. I want to pray for you. I want to pray specifically that this morning God will give you a word to be able to stand your ground, to be able to fight back against the enemy in your life. And it may be something that's attacking your body. could be a physical thing. And I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for the wisdom of doctors. But I still believe that God works miracles. I still believe Isaiah 53, with his stripes, we are healed. And if that miracle comes through modern medicine or if it comes through a miraculous touch of God's power, you will be healed. Stand on that. Or maybe you're troubled in your mind. You ain't slept well in weeks or months. Paranoid. So much going on in the world. I look around and it's just trouble all around me. God said he'll give you a peace that passes understanding. Stand on that word. You don't have to understand why it happened. You don't have to understand why you're going through it. Don't ask why. Ask what? God, what do you want me to learn from this? Give me a peace that'll, that'll lift me up above this circumstance in my life. God wants to give you a word. Lord, I pray right now for every person that just feels like their, their life is under attack and they're going through a storm. Lord, remind them that the storm is not on purpose, that you didn't send the storm to try to hurt them. You didn't send the storm to try to get them to, because they did something wrong. Storms come because we live in a fallen world. Storms come because ever since Eve and Adam took a bite of that apple, we have been dealing with this thing called sin, and it's just the effects of living in this world. And and so take the shame off of them. If anybody tried to connect dots in their life and say, well, this is happening because you did this, I rebuke the voice of the enemy. Storms come because that's just what they do. And when we read Matthew 7, we know the just and the unjust, the wise and the foolish, it's the same storm that came. But one was prepared. 
And so, Lord, build your people up this morning. Give them a word right now. God, give her a word right now. A word of hope, a word of healing. You're going to get through this. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy's coming in your life. This is for somebody. You've been crying more than you've ever cried this past six months. Take that word with you home. Weeping may endure. It's just a season, but joy is coming at the end. Or maybe you're at a crossroads right now and you don't know what decision to make. Should I go right or should I go left? Proverbs tells us if we commit our ways to the Lord, trust with him with all of our heart, our heart he'll direct your path. You don't have to make the decision. Let God make it. He'll place you and put you right where you need to be with the right people in the right place. Let that deep just sink into your soul this morning. God's got you. So, Lord, we just pray for a word this morning for every person that's going through a storm, God, that you would just bring strength, God, that you would bring clarity. And, Lord, help us to be people who are fortified and build on the rock. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen.